Hey, friends. I'm so sorry. That was really obnoxious. <laughs> but <laughs> we have some news. So because, you know, Akko and I are, you know, podcasters and we're like making friends and shit. We recently befriended a great group called Black Nerd Problems. They have everything you need in terms of basically like movies, TV shows, comics, cosplay and books. Think like the Color Pages Book Club, but like they kind of go into all those other mediums. They, they give like colorful reviews and like just things like that. So, uh, yeah, so if you're into sort of like, you know, like a niche kind of perspective on these different avenues, these nerds got you covered. Yes, and check them out at blacknerdproblems.com or you can find them at BMPLIT and at blacknerdproblems on Instagram and at BLKNRD problems on Twitter. Come from the pop culture commentary. Stay for the memes that your other friends don't understand. Come on. Yes. So, yeah, so support them because they're really, really great. Okay, yes. now on to the show. Hi, I'm Marcy. And I'm Akko. And welcome to the Color Pages Book Club, a bi-weekly podcast that focuses on fiction, fantasy, and magical and. realism written by, come on, <laughs> written by writers from colorful backgrounds. Once again, we are back, and today mm-hmm. we will be reading Tiger Flu which is a queer sci-fi novel written by Larissa Lai. So, for a little context, Larissa Lai is a American-born Canadian no- novelist, so she was like, let me just see what they're doing on the <laughs> other side of the, <laughs> let the me Niagara actually, Falls. Let me actually get the fuck out of the U.S. right now. Right. And she is a novelist and literary critic. She is the author of five books. That's not one. That's not two through three, nor is it four. That is five books, y'all. Yes, it is. (laughs) Those include Tiger Flu, which, of course, we'll be reading today, and Saltfish Girl. She is also the recipient of the Astria Award and holds a Canadian research chair at the University of Calgary. She also, Mm. interesting enough, is directs the Insurgent Architects House for Creative Writing at that university. So she is very awesome and cool. Great. Excited to read Uh. her book. Yeah, same, same. I will say, so we'll we'll get into this, you know, when we start the plot summary. But yeah, this is definitely the most like sci-fi, sci-fi kind of like vibe. I feel like like this is the most, I mean, I I feel like fifth season was pretty on this wave too. But like, yeah, this is very much like in that realm. So yeah, kind of interested to talk about it. Facts. We'll see what happens. But, but before we do that, I see, you know what time it is. Yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) I have a question. Oh, lay it on me. So, 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 this book is a post-apocalyptic book. And our last book, Dread Nation, Mm -hmm. was a historical fiction that was also a little Mm post-apocalyptic. Which actually, now that I'm thinking about it, has like some pretty interesting implications for the idea of post-apocalypse. Because Mm. if it's historical and also apocalyptic but we're still alive now, it means that maybe the apocalypse is actually cyclical, which actually kind of feels like fifth season, but that's not the question. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, oh my God, I don't know how the fuck I'm going to answer this question. (laughs) There's too many references. Holy shit. (laughs) But I think a lot of times we we talk a lot about how apocalypse happen and how to survive an apocalypse and Mm -hmm. where do you go for your zombie safe house? And I wanted to pull back a second and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Maybe the apocalypse is not inevitable, you know? Hmm. So the question is, what are the steps, do you think, if there are any, Mm -hmm. for stopping an apocalypse from happening? 
Damn, I envy the first question because like this one is <laughs> holy god. Okay. The steps to stopping an apocalypse. Okay. <laughs> I think oh Jesus. Yeah, it's a big one. That's yeah. Like... I, I feel like I mean, obviously I'm not gonna be able to cover like the whole landscape of apocalypses, so I'm not gonna be gonna, let, let me not be a perfectionist and just give my fucking response. So I would say I think it kind of depends on, I guess, what causes the Mm. apocalypse like if it's one of those situations where it's like oh like this like random like you know illness came out of nowhere and just like wiped out the whole population and like everything descended into chaos and it's like okay that's more of a i feel like you know obviously we're gonna need some like pretty strong public health responses to like (laughs) stop the spread of that and stuff like that we just gonna need some like lit ass epidemiologists and like other shit but if it's a situation where it's like motherfuckers were just like corrupt and like war broke out and like Mm. that's what caused it i I think in it sort of depends a little bit on, I guess, what causes it. But at the root of it, I think that, like, I feel like what apocalypse is... Is that the plural of apocalypse? Am I making that Apocali? Apocali? I don't know. Apoc- <laughs> like no, that's not. Know. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, apocalypse. Yes, God. Um, I think at the base of it, it kind of represents, especially in literature, like a... Like a like basically just something just not being sustainable, like reaching a tipping mm. point where it's like, we just cannot get past this. And so I feel like the steps to really stopping it is just kind of like, this makes you kind of think about actually our, like our conversation with Curtis um, last week mm. where we were talking about how he mentioned that like power is just like at the root of so much of the bullshit that happens. Like that's why right. a lot of people like subscribe to these like systems of oppression and like even like participate in like systems that like often don't even really benefit them that much. But like, mm. you know, it's like that desire to feel powerful. I feel like at the base of it, we just need to have societies that have like, and I don't even necessarily think that there's anything wrong with power, but I think that we just need to try to cultivate a world where power is like equal, where it's like where we try oh, to I basically see. create structures where it's like people just have autonomy and like the power just sort of like yeah like just sort of like live the lives that they want to live and basically just kind of like being really keen to the social oh i have my response as i was giving you my response so i think <laughs> at the base <laughs> i think at the base of it if we create societies wherein we're really privy to sort of like the social inequities between people then we really work mm. hard to like address those and like true like in the truest of senses like balance the scale i think we'll have sort of like the cultural ideas and sort of like the structures in place to deal with an apocalypse or something that could cause an apocalypse when that time comes it's one of those things Mm. where it's like i think when we are used to thinking about like you know when we're like really caping for capitalism and like you know racism and like all this like awful shit like when things like this happen it's like when these really extreme circumstances take place people just fall into those same biases but if we like as a society as like a world really just like ask ourselves what does it mean to actually have like true equity and like be willing to like have systems and like institutions look differently and operate differently and have people like lose privilege <laughs> in order to make that happen right. i feel like ultimately that'll kind of give people that that'll allow for the collaboration necessary and the innovation necessary to like actually deal with with situations like this Ooh. so i think that we, there needs to be like a heavy focus on just like social injustices and then i feel like that kind of like basically that kind of like cultural shift i feel like would lend itself to like advances in science and like you know advances in technology and like Mm. all these different things because it's like it like we are allowing for the actual growth and human potential of everyone and so we're like it's like we're it's like we move away from the scarcity like you know only you know they're just like these greats in history who did all these great things when it's like no it's like everyone can be great because like everyone has like the resources right and institutional support to be great and so every literally everyone wins because like we have structures in place where it's like oh wait we actually like have invested in the human capital of everyone and so that allows us to like all benefit from that collective like 
like culture growth. of like uplifting and right and yeah. growth. So yeah, just like basically like throwing away everything <laughs> just like <laughs> creating like a society that's i mean maybe not throwing away everything but like you know just really truly right revolutionizing what it means to like be in a society what a society is what a society looks like what a community looks mm. like how do we like construct those communities like where do people live like where do people buy food do they have access to food what's going on do they have health care let's do you know like just like really like every Asking. dimension of society just being like how do we make it better for the most marginalized people and then everyone wins right so i like that yeah it's like the every everybody eats mentality. Like yeah. everybody eats. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree with you in a lot of ways. I think the apocalypse idea, right, is very much a crossing of the Rubicon. Which, for y'all who don't know, just it's a metaphor for when you've you've gone too far. Like you've just mm. gone past the point of no return. And mm. I, I think when people make apocalypse metaphors, it's saying whatever it is that we could have done to stop this, we did not do. And right. Now we have to contend with that. That's why you get like, oh, hell froze over or these illnesses that like, you know, something crazy. It's usually someone's continuous actions. Now we have to face the consequences that maybe Mm. we were ignoring before. Hmm. So in my thinking, I have a three-step plan to stop an apocalypse. Come on, three steps. (laughs) And you can do them out of order, too. Yes, God. Uh, It's like a little wiki how (laughs) to stop the apocalypse. and so it's the it, it's self community and its structures. So I mm. think a lot of times a lot of the things that create social huge blown up issues and this kind of comes from like house of the spirits, right? It starts with an individual's insecurities, right? Mm-hmm. There there's something someone is trying to burn the whole world down to feed an insecurity or mm. or a group of people are doing it. And I think a lot of times that can be fixed by doing a tiny bit of self-reflection. Everybody just sometimes sit down, close your eyes and contend with yourself. If there's something that you did that doesn't make you happy, don't run from it. If there's something that embarrasses you, something that you're afraid of, don't run from it because then what's going to happen next is you're going to take that out on the people around you, which is your Mm. community. So Mm -hmm. start with the self. Start with self-love, which isn't self-indulgence. It's self-acceptance. And then it's self betterment it's it's working on yourself and asking yourself who am i who do i want to be and regardless Mm -hmm. of what i become you know if i never meet my aspirations i'm still good enough which again it's kind of what joe matt said too about your worth so do that and then i think once you have that ability you then can have that grace and forgiveness and love you have for yourself for other people and so you Mm -hmm. take that out to the people around you and then you're helping them feel better, right? Mm. You're helping them be like, oh, maybe I also don't have to like, you know, suffocate under this feelings of, you know, insecurity. And you're also not being a bully or someone who is putting that oppressive nature on other people. You know, you become an an agent of good. And then Mm -hmm. on a larger scale, once you you can do that with the community, the structures are the same thing, right? They're they're an Mm -hmm. aggregation, um, an increase in scale of... You're of people's insecurities or a group of insecurities and that being taken out on other people and being mm-hmm. able to disregard other people and having the force of a society to allow you to do that. So right. if we then dismantle structures that allow people to hurt other people because of their insecurities, then mm-hmm. we can create structures that ask us to consider other people in our actions. And it might mm-hmm. seem more quote unquote costly but it's not because you are 
you're making something more valuable. You're making a society where everybody eats, but also, every, no, you know, people, people have value, you know, people's value is recognized. And right. I think at that point, you're so far from the apocalypse. Like the societies you and I are describing are so far from apocalypse. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even a question. Right. And so I think we run so quick to this idea of humans will innately destroy each other and humans are evil and, and the, it's like white people and men and black people and, and all these other people, straight people, mm-hmm. everyone, we're going to have to fight each other for some type of slice of the pie. And it's like, right. but do we though? <laughs> Right. Well, if we're people and we have so much power to decide our fates, like why not take a crack at deciding our fates? You know what I mean? So, right. and which would mean like if you have privileges, right? You have to contend with those. Like, what mm. do those mean? And what are you using those for? Because right. you are, no matter what, just like the people who are oppressed didn't ask to be oppressed, mm-hmm. you are complicit by birth. So ask yourself, what choice are you going to make? You know, Oof. just like when we're in a oppressed group, you ask yourself, what choice am I going to make? And mm-hmm. when you're oppressed, the, the, the choice seems so much clearer, right? You're right. like, well, <laughs> I either continue <laughs> to hate myself or <laughs> I find another alternative. Come on. And, and <laughs> but I think maybe if you have privilege, the choice, the, the cage that holds you isn't as clear. But right. like, make no mistake, it is a cage. And you can be free of it because people are doing it all the time. All sorts of white people are walking around being like, nah, <laughs> right. I don't care for this oppression shit. <laughs> I want right. to help people. So that's my thinking. I love that because it, I love it because, well, for a number of reasons. One, I think that's so true. I think at the base of it, um, and I think <clears throat> we've we've literally said this point so many times, but I'm going to say it again. Um Woo. The idea of, yeah, like, I think that, like, so much of, you know, oppression is just based in insecurity and, like, having to rely on this power or this privilege that you have access to for no particular reason. Like, that somehow being, like, a (laughs) tenet of your self-esteem or self-worth or lack thereof. And it's just one of those things where I like that it breaks down the fact that ultimately, like, these institutions that, like, you know, can seem so insurmountable and, like, so... It's, it's like almost like the like these fortresses of like evil or whatever the fuck like it's just like it's nice when you break it down you're like institutions are just made up of people who are just made up of like yeah. individuals it's like it's like they're both a group and it's also made up of individual people so like even those individual changes are going to have implications for like how institutions run mm. depending on like especially who has access to these like institutions and like who was able to kind of like you know use that institutional power to like make these decisions and stuff like that um and so yeah, I just, I love that it kind of breaks that down and, like, it makes it more, like, approachable. And, like, at the end of the day, it's kind of, like, I mean, it's a very, like, Steven Universe, like, self-love is, like, key, but, like, low-key <laughs> it is. Like, it's, like, when a you truly, because it's one of those things where it's, like, honestly, when you feel whole and complete in yourself, like, that desire to see others fail, that desire to see other people, like, oppressed or, like, you know, to feel as though you're doing better than someone else, like, that just, like, you don't feel that anymore because you're, like, yeah. that doesn't that doesn't make me feel, if anything, it makes you feel, you're actually, like, no, like, I, I, like, I want other people to feel mm-hmm. this kind of sense of wholeness or, like, com- you know, like, a true appreciation of, of self. And there are just so many tenets in our society that makes it so easy for people to hate themselves. I feel like that's why yeah. it's so... It's like considered radical to like, you know, to like love yourself. It's <laughs> like, yourself. Until like <laughs> right? It's like unlearn. Like even like the idea of like, like I remember like I was. This is very very different and random. But I was like texting a friend of mine and I was saying how like because I was like editing an episode of this show actually and I was saying how like just like as I was editing I realized that I actually really like 
my voice. Like I was like, I kind of I, I, I just like listening to it, like just hearing it on the podcast. I was like, I, I actually really like my voice. Like it's like a very like, it's like, it's like expressive and like fun. I, they were just, like, I, I was like, I was like, I like my voice. And I remember I was like texting this friend this and I was like, yeah, girl, I'm like, te- like I'm like editing right now. Like a bitch like is in love with their voice. And I remember like, <laughs> as I was like sending that message, like a part of me, like I like, I wanted to be like, oh, like I like low key like my voice or like I like like you know tried to like reduce it, but I was like, no, like right. like I actually let me just be in like say like it's like why is it weird for me to say, mm-hmm. oh, I actually really enjoy the quality about myself versus if, if the inverse was like, oh yeah, girl, like I was editing and like I fucking hate my voice, like it's so annoying, like oh my god, like I hate like it's like mm-hmm. how easy would that have been to say, right? And it's just because culturally, it's like it's like we have these yep. practices where it makes it seem as though like this like self deprecation is like that's somehow socially acceptable but the inverse is like somehow it's like oh bitch you're being arrogant or like oh my god why are you so conceited like what the fuck is wrong with you like girls just you know like it's just like it's like and i don't know it's it's one of those moments where i just was realizing like huh this is like i feel like we can like shape cultures where like this isn't the case where people can like openly love themselves and like that doesn't lead to like like some sort of negative response from people like if anything people were like yes girl love your voice thank god and like my friend was like like, i love your voice too and i was like look at this moment of self-love um but yeah so (laughs) anyway long story short i highly agree with everything you just said and i i really love that (laughs) yeah so i was thinking about it and i also it also makes me think um if your privilege doesn't give you the opportunity to love yourself Mm -hmm. you should consider if your privilege is worth it you know i'm just putting it out there damn but that is all very far (laughs) from the actual story we're about to read today yes let's take Um, a quick (laughs) break (laughs) and when we get back yes we could go into all of the details about tiger flu which girl it is a doozy let me tell you (laughs) oh my god yes we'll be (laughs) right back Per our usual protocol, we'll, you know, do a little plot summary and then talk about all our feelings and thoughts. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to just say real quick, this is, granted, this is part one, so this all my chance. Yes. But the way this book is written, no shade, but it is very... We don't know what's going on. Okay, we yeah. It's, 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 we, we, we are just, girl, we're trying. <laughs> it's like, right. It's, it's like... And it's not necessarily because of, like, bad storytelling or anything like that. It's more just, like, the world that we live in now is very specific. And there's a lot of world building and, like, terms. And, like, things aren't necessarily, like, fully explained. So it's, like, I honestly feel like I was reading the book. And maybe for the first ten chapters, was like, what the fuck? And then, like, after that was, like, okay, I'm slowly starting to piece it together. So you just kind of have to, like, I guess go with it until it kind of starts to make sense. It's, like, you just start to, like... It's one of those books where you definitely... Ideally, we'll probably read it twice, honestly, to like fully understand what, what happened. So since we only read it, you know, halfway and one time, um, we're going to try right. our best. And so, Cut us some slack. Yeah. So like for anyone who read this book and they're like, wow, like, are y'all, what the fuck? Like, we'll be like, look, we, we try it, girl. Okay. So I guess to kind of put this all in context, basically, so the story takes place in this like post-apocalyptic dystopia. And in this dystopia, there are four quarantine rings. And so basically within each ring is like a different town, more or less. And so up to this point, we know of what's going on in the first ring, which is where there's a city called Saltwater City. 
And then in the fourth ring, that's this place called the Grist Village. Yes. And so in this dystopia, there's a there's a flu called the tiger flu that is like fucking up everyone's shit. Basically, it's a mm. it's a disease that mostly affects men, but like, you know, people of other genders are also can be affected by it, but men are the most susceptible to it. It's basically one of those right. flus where it's like, once you have it, girl, you're kinda your days are pretty much numbered. So that's been kind of plaguing the population. So like it kind of is like so men are just kind of honestly not really that visible throughout the novel the story. because because a lot yeah. of them yeah are are dying. So Essentially, so that's the thing happening now. But in the past, y'all, we're going to try to break it down. (laughs) So in the past, (laughs) about three generations ago, there was essentially a mass exodus from Saltwater City to the Grist Village, where basically there was this group of women that were, like, exiled, essentially. So they were, like, sent to what's now the Grist Village and have been there for essentially three generations, so about 80 years. We don't know why. We don't know why yet. Right. It's unclear, but yes. Yes. So basically, yeah, so we don't know why. And yeah, so right now, basically, there's like the regular society, which is like kind of saltwater city, and then like the Grist Village. Now, in the Grist Village, so moving into that fourth quarantine ring. Nice. <laughs> basically, the way it works in Grist Village is that it's essentially this like agrarian commune that's like all women. And basically, the they've been able somehow in three generations, we're going to talk about right. this. I'm like, girl, what the fuck? <laughs> in three generations, they were basically able to kind of like change the entire like human reproductive system and like make like a sustainable society without the presence of people sperm. with penises and sperm and yeah. shit in their life. And so. Basically, um, in the Grist Village, there are a few different, like, I guess, classes of people that you should be aware of. So, in the Grist Village, there are people known as starfish. Um, they're not literal starfish, which I thought it's, it's a person. Um, <laughs> starfish <laughs> are basically people that can regenerate body parts. So, if they, like, yes. lose a hand, if they lose whatever, like, they can, they, it regrows. So, like a starfish. Then, there are people called doublers, who essentially are those that can, like, they can, they, they basically are the ones who kind of keep generations going. They can clone themselves. And so, basically, right. they kind of give birth i guess to a younger version of basically like a younger version of themselves with like the the same dna but like starting at the very beginning of the human lifespan so like they can kind of give it's like yeah so they clone themselves but it's not like they're cloning who they are currently they clone like a younger version of i guess that same strain and then lastly i think that's actually like how cloning works right now right with like the sheep yeah you don't you don't just like go into a machine and like get a duplicate right like a person but anyway it doesn't matter Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so so doublers are the ones that basically reproduce. Starfish are the ones that like regenerate. And then there are people called grooms who are essentially doctors. And so essentially if anyone is having any sort of health ailments, grooms can go to starfish and like remove body parts mm. and like give them to the people in question. So yes. grooms are those the, the people who kind of know how to do that. They can also like deliver babies. They're basically, yeah, just kind of like the healthcare professionals within Grist Village. Yes. And then the grooms also collect, they plant, and then they harvest these forget-me-dos, which basically are drugs that help people forget, but also make pain less painful i don't know it seems like it's 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 a drug people and then yeah, it's, it's it's like it like turns pain to pleasure or something like that yes like, yeah. yeah so the grist society also has mother doubles which they either are the person you're cloned from or they're an an older clone version of you we're not we're not sure yeah but they usually serve as like mentors more yes or less. mother like yes. figures to the, yes. the person who's younger mm-hmm. and then there is a head mother a doubler, I, I believe, and her her name in the story is Auntie Radix. Mm-hmm. Um, and she feels like a queen bee type of situation, like it's a hive kind of thing. But yeah, anyway, 
So in the dominant society, so remember that's we're jumping back, jumping back some rings to, <laughs> to that first, first ring. Yes, right. Um, <laughs> actually, the first two rings. So, so the dominant society oh. we have the saltwater flats, which is mostly desolate. So that's the qu- quarantine area, and then there's also the the, the United Middle Kingdom, uh, which mm-hmm. actually that might encompass all of the rings, uh, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe. We're not sure, <laughs> <laughs> but there's also. But there's also this cosmopolitan Earth Council, um, mm-hmm. and that they're at odds uh, in some way, some fashion. Um, they're fighting about something. And then yes. there's also this socio-political entity <laughs> called the Host, which may be a corporation. I, I think don't it is think a corporation. Yes, yes, yes. And and then they're all fighting each other. And there's that's a subplot, or mm-hmm. maybe a main plot. It could be a main plot. We I, don't I feel like it. it might be kind of main, but like we haven't really right. Yet. Yeah. <laughs> so like here we are. Um, and. What we do know about Host is that there's this this head leader, Isabel Cho, and she's the CEO of Host, and she's highly revered. She's almost seen as saintly or godly. They yeah. have shrines to her, and and she said to like when all the men were dying of the tiger flu, like Isabel Cho rose up and was strong and an, an inventor. And you're like, okay, don't yeah. know who she is, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> right. So like people really so. ride for Isabel, um, right. and so. Really, one more quick thing. So the tiger flu, as we know at this moment, is like fucking shit up in like Saltwater City in Ring One, but like wasn't really in Gris Village like that. And I'm not sure to what extent yeah. it was in the other rings either, but it was definitely for sure in Saltwater City. Um, yeah, yeah. So and they definitely call some of the places quarantine. So it may be that the quarantine places have tiger flu, and then the the not. I don't. I don't that is <laughs> so, an assumption. Right. Again, we are trying our best. We could be completely wrong, but we're trying our best. We both read it and we just this is what we came up with. So <laughs> So in the book, there are essentially two main characters that kind of um have their own sort of like separate but like very much parallel and like soon to be very much intersecting stories. Very much giving you kind of like fifth season tease a little bit, honestly. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah. Yes. So basically, so the one of the characters, her name is Cora. So Cora lives in Saltwater City with her mother. Charlotte, her uncle Y, and her brother, whose name is something, but they call him K2. Oh, and she also has a goat named Delphine. So basically, at the very beginning of the book, you just kind of know that like shit's not good. Like they don't Facts. really have food like that. Like, yep. and it's just like motherfuckers is really struggling. In the literal first chapter, one of K2's friends, whose name is Stash, who's like not Ugh. super relevant, but like basically he's like this random guy that like has tiger flu essentially like sexually assaulted Cora and was like trying to like make out with her and like it was like this Ugh. whole thing they were like struggling it was like it was like a lot and I was like what is happening Cora's like 15 years old it, it's a lot anyway so basically that's kind of like the climate it's just like there's kind of a lot right. of unrest and like people just don't really have resources it's like a shit show Cora also again I'm not sure to what this is relevant but she she wears this like they describe it as like a halo and like basically in the halo she can put like these scales? I think they call them scales and basically yeah. the scales serve as like memories or images of like previous lifetimes that like she herself right. like hasn't really been privy to so for example in the first chapter they were talking about how she used her scale well one of the scales like showed her the phases of the moon because in this world there's not really a moon or a sun there's like something called chang and something called ing which i think right. are satellites i honestly don't th- i don't think they're like actual like like I don't know what you call those things, but basically like like Earth or like stars is like they're I think there's like these are like man made constructions. Oh oh, they're man made satellites. Yeah, whereas so, the moon's a natural satellite. Okay, that makes right. sense. Right. So basically, Cora <laughs> Mar- like Marcy, saw- you just explained something to me which I did not. <laughs> <laughs> 
from the book. <laughs> you know, oh, look at that. We, we pieced it together. So basically, so Cora can see, it can use scales to kind of see different images of like what the world used to be like. Because right. the, the setting I think right now is like in, is like 2145, something like that. So like, yeah. you know, like a hundred and something years in the future. So basically, yeah. So like motherfuckers are struggling. And at one point there's a, um, so, you know, Cora has a goat named Delphine who she loves. And one day Charlotte and Uncle Y were like, well, really mostly Charlotte was like, we need to kill this goddamn goat <laughs> and eat something because we are starving in this bitch. And like yeah. Uncle Y was like, but you know, that's Cora's like favorite animal. Like she's going to fucking hate you. And she's like, you know what? Like if Cora hates me, that's still, that indicates that she's still alive. So <laughs> we're going to kill this goddamn goat. So basically she kills this goat, uh, Charlotte and like Uncle Y while like Cora was like asleep. It was like Loki kind of fucked up. I'm like, yeah, you just go like butcher this goat. And so Cora like walks in on all of this. It's like a mess. Mm. But before she, I guess, left the situation, she overheard that. So Cora had has so her dad isn't in the picture we don't really know where he is but what we do know is that like cora so cora's brother k2 is actually a twin and his twin's name is everest and everest recently died but cora didn't really know everest but she still felt like devastated and then also like charlotte to uncle y unbeknownst to her that like cora was listening in on this Basically says something to the effect of, like, I shouldn't have left your brother because, like, you know, we would still be rich. So, basically, what we can assume here is that, like, Cora's dad is, like, wealthy and, like, somewhere else. And, like, Charlotte left him Mm. to, like, be with the brother, I guess, romantically. But it seems like right now they kind of have a more, like, not, like, maybe they fell out of love. Or I don't know if they were in love. Basically, there was, was, like, yeah, there's, like, a strained relationship. But, basically, she left the brother to, like, live a life with Uncle Y. And so, anyway, so Cora sees all, so she hears the shit about her brother. She sees, like, her dead goat, and she was, like, devastated. So she, like, ran away and then basically, like, went into town, ran through this market, and, like, basically she was running through this market, and, like, these, like, girls who we later find out are from this, like, school called the Cordova School for Dancing Girls. Is that what it's called? Yeah. 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 So, basically, they, like, stop her, and they're like, oh, like, are you trying to steal? Like, what's up? Like, "Mm." and she was like, "Mm, girl, I'm leaving. And so she, like, runs away, and, like, it's, like, this whole thing. Basically, that happens, and yeah, they're just like struggling. And then one day, essentially, Uncle Y and K2 sat down with Cora, and also like Charlotte was there too. Obviously, not Delphine because Delphine was eaten by everyone. Um, <laughs> so, like, basically, like, <laughs> so, like, she was there in their stomachs, I guess. Right, like, literally being digested uh, by everyone in attendance to this meeting. Um, they like sat down with Cora, and they were like, hey, we actually want you to go to the Cordova school for dancing girls. And like, Cora was yeah. like, why the fuck would I ever want to go there? Because while it sounds like, so I was like, oh my God, girl. A dance school that sounds so litty. Like, what dance class is like? Oh my god, it's like not a dance school, it's basically a school where they teach you how to loot and like steal because, like, motherfuckers are dying. Um, so Cora sent to the dancing school and it's like a mess. And the only, I guess, the incentive of going was that it's a bit more stable, so they have like more of a stable supply of like food and like, I guess, to some lackluster, (laughs) lackluster extent, like healthcare and like other shit. So they send Cora there. And basically, Cora is immediately terrorized by like all the girls who like go there. Seconds, Ch- they like seconds. Li- <laughs> like, I can't. <laughs> three I like, steps and the bullshit starts. Right. So uh, let's just talk about the girls who got who go to this goddamn school. Okay. So they're giving you what's her name, Mira, and then she has like three friends. One of whom is named Tanya, the other is named Modesta, and the other one is named Soraya. So all of those girls are about Cora's age. And then there's a girl named Velma who's like way younger than Cora, but like Cora like chills with. 
And so, like, basically, when they, like, first walk in, like, Velma was, like, getting her situated to the school. They were, like, getting, they, like, went to the dining hall to, like, get food. And, like, Cora was going to sit with, like, Mira and them. But basically, Mira and them were the same girls that, like, tried to jump her at the market. And she was like, I'm I'm about to sit with them. What the fuck? So she, like, pivots and sits with Velma. And they, like, throw biscuits at her and are, like, really fucking rude. And I'm just like, what the fuck is this? And so, like, it's just, like, a mess. And then, like, at one point, oh, my God, this is so nasty. Basically, they, like, Uh, oh, my God. Um, They, like, I guess Mira and them had kind of, like, low-key, I mean, they lived in the same town as Cora. And so they, like, saw this one time where, like, Cora's family had caught a rat and, like, had to cook it and eat it because they literally had nothing else to eat. And so they're, like, making fun of Cora. They're, like, oh, my God, I can't believe you eat rats. Like, what? And then that somehow pivoted to them being, like, are you a lesbian? And she was, like, what? And, like, basically all of this was so much that, like, the memory of the rat was, like, too much that, like, Cora vomited. And they, like, made her eat it. Like, they, yep. like, shoved her face in it, and they were like, you gonna eat this in, because the, they were really nasty. And then they, like, started kicking her and shit. And then, like, they were, like, outside. And I want to say it, like, started raining. And I was like, this is just really, really awful dark. for no yeah. re- Cora is just, why are they treating her like this? So, anyway, oh, so. There's also that thing about her uncle Lennox or something. Oh, yes. They're blaming their family, I guess, for starting the tiger flu, which I'm like, how? Is yeah. that possible? Because <laughs> it was basically like, Linux, wait, was Linux her uncle or the or grandfather? Oh, that's a good question. Some S- kin. Some, some kin in the some, past. Yes. Basically, the idea was like, um, they had some sort of, they used to make something called tiger wine. And so I guess like in that process started the tiger flu. That's like what the streets are saying, apparently. And mm. what Mira and her like rudest fuck friends like right. accuse Cora of like instantly. Yeah. So basically they're like terrorizing the dog shit out of her. And at one point, basically, like, I guess Cora was, like, so tired of the bullshit that at night, very much giving you Dread Nation. I, oh, my God. We're really, like, at a point with this podcast where we're, like, referencing other books. And it's, like, kind of cute. Like, I'm, like, kind of into it. Anyway, right? basically, in the middle of the night, she, like, sneaks out and, like, is, like, I'm just going to, like, try to go home and, like, visit my family. So Cora, like, sneaks out and then basically co- comes into contact with Stash, which is the same guy who, like, tried to, like, make out with her and shit in the chapter one. And it was, like, why the fuck? And so basically he intercepted her and was like, oh, I want to show you something. So they like went to this bar and basically he showed her this like technology where he can like, basically the idea is like with men who were sick from the flu, they like are being sent to this location and like Stash got in touch with them in front of Cora and was like, oh, look, like they're all doing well. But then like randomly as fuck Modesta and Soraya were there and they were like, Oh, like bitch are so fucking gullible. Like, you know, all them hoes are dead. Like what? Like you really believe in like these random motherfuckers. And like Cora was like, what? And like, they like, like dragged her back to the school. Right. I don't know. It was like weird as fuck. Then on another night, which is where shit like a high key goes down. Basically Mm. Modesta and Soraya were like, okay, girl, we going to like, we're going to go to this market and like take cans. Cause like, you know, they have to like get food for the school. So they roll out, all three of them, and basically they end up, rather than going to a market, they go to this, like, house where, I guess, well, a bunch they, of people... Well, they imply that there are, that even though Madame is telling them to go to this market and that saying that there's markets filled with food somewhere, they're saying there aren't any left. And yes. they don't want to tell Madame that, so they just rob people's houses. Yeah, because there's there's incentives to like stealing and like bringing back stuff. Right, you, you know, you like reach or a higher level. You, right, you get privileges or you get kicked out, which is like obviously not a choice because everything is on fire. Um, so basically, they go to this giant house. 
they go inside and like um beforehand Cora's like super nervous she's like wait why are we going inside like what if people live here like what the fuck and they're like oh girl it's fine like whatever and like they like give Cora a gun and they're like oh if anyone runs up just shoot them with this shit and Cora's like are y'all fucking what the hell right (laughs) so basically Cora's like y'all tripping but she's like I will take the gun though because like I'm low-key scared so basically she like goes inside so like they like split up so like Cora goes in the basement and the other two like go to different parts of the house Cora goes downstairs and just sees a bunch of like dead bodies and it's like really it's like a lot um and she goes into this one room where she steals a bunch of cans so there's like cans so she's like stealing and while she's taking the last can she hears like this random voice from the corner be like which honestly this just gives me fucking nightmares it's like the voice is like oh like have you taken enough and she was like yeah when i tell you Cora split like it was <laughs> so n- when i tell you mama dipped and like basically the person in the room was running after her so Cora's like running a zombie up the- scene oh yeah it was like a lot so Cora's running upstairs and she gets to the top she gets to the, the the top of the stairs and the door is locked for some reason. She's like, why the fuck mm. is the door locked? And then, of course, Soraya and Modesta quick because they're awful, lock the door. Yep. And so, basically, Cora, like, turns around. She, like, points the gun at the dude. She's like, yo, like, don't make me shoot, like, blah, blah, blah. And, and like, the guy was like, are you really stealing from, like, the dead and dying? Like, honestly, like, this is so foul. Like, so foul. Ooh. Yeah. And she was like, I mean, I low-key am stealing from the dead and, um... Right, Cora's not trying to pretend. She makes no justifications for it. Right, like she's She's like, like, yeah, like this is actually really fucked up. And so basically the guy, so they're on the stairs, right? So the guy grabs her leg and like yanks it. And so she like falls, but the gun goes off. And so like, and it was pointed at him. So obviously it hits him. And so he like falls, like tumbles down the stairs and like Cora's like, oh my God, are you okay? Of course doesn't hear anything. And is like, let me, girl, let me just get the fuck out of here. So she shoots the door handle and like manages to get out. And like Sadaya and like Modesta are like laughing and they're like, LOL, like we we couldn't make it too easy. I'm like, no. Cora just murdered someone because right. y'all thought it would be a cute. Okay, moving on. Um, so basically, right. this happens. It's like really fucked up. And um, at one like so on another night, so Cora just loves. I guess these like nighttime escapades. Girl, I don't know. She goes outside, <laughs> and at one point, she like, oh, because they have these like, cat, like I think they call them cat coats yeah, at the Cordova do. School, yeah. and they basically are like these. I guess like kind of like these cloaks that help you to sort of like hide and like steal from bitches. And so like. Cora see, takes one. I thought this whole time they were fur coats. Thank <laughs> you again. <laughs> I got you, boo. So basically, uh, but again, they could just be fur coats and I'm just like really looking into it. Um, so anyways, she takes whatever the fuck this coat is, runs outside and it's like, just like in the night and shit. she's like, oh, I like, I'm like in the night and I'm like, this is like a really odd, like what the fuck? And so basically at one point she sees this like pack of dogs attacking someone and she like, sh- she like uses like a stick to like beat the dogs and like get them to go away. Come right. to find out the person being attacked was her brother, K2. And um, Cora's like, oh my God, this is perfect because like I kind of want to go home anyway. So like we were together, like we're together now. So let's like go home and like, you know, check out the situation. And like K2 was being like mad dodgy and was just kind of like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. And he also apparently joined this band of group called the Tiger men who were like i think are basically like the cordova school for dancing girls but they're like basically men with the tiger flu who like also yeah. rob bitches and i'm just like this is what in the fuck and so basically k2 is like really dodging doesn't want to go but like cora's like let's go and he's like fine so they like go back home and when they go inside it's like really weird because the apartment's like mad clean but like no Everybody's one's there gone. And, like, yeah. like so Charlotte isn't there. Uncle, Uncle Y isn't there. Obviously, Delphine isn't there because she was eating, like, 20 <laughs> chapters ago. Um, and so, basically, like, so like, yo, like, what's going on? So, like, at one point, they're, like, on the roof. And she was, like, um, like, were they kidnapped? Like, what happened? And K2, like, without saying a word, just, like, runs away. Yes. And so Cora, like, tries to, like, chase after him. But, obviously, but he, like, you know, outruns her. And so, basically, she's just, like, whatever. And so, like, K2 just escapes. And she's, like, oh, my God. Like, was my family kidnapped? So yeah. uh, that's it's where, a um, yeah, so that's kind of where we are with 
Korra story. Oh, yeah. So then, meanwhile, in the Gris, I also was like, K2, what? <laughs> you have so much energy to run away. And you couldn't, anyway. And you were also, weren't you just attacked by dogs? Like, aren't you, like, injured? Like, that whole right. scene, I was like, aren't you, like, how are you? It, uh, <sighs> <laughs> 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 but meanwhile, in the Grists, um, there's a parallel story with Kirillo. And she's a groom, which, as we explained earlier, is like a doctor. And they kind of take care of the, the doubler or the starfish, depending. Mm-hmm. And her lover is uh, Perestrophe who we're just going to call Perry for the rest yes. of the story. Mm-hmm. And she is a starfish. <laughs> <laughs> She's a starfish. <laughs> so their society isn't thriving at the moment either. It They have a doubler, Auntie Radix, and she's mm-hmm. giving birth to a lot of clones. But it, it, from the story, it sounds like she's too old and she shouldn't be doing it anymore, but they don't have a replacement. Yeah. Doubler, and I don't know how you get a replacement doubler, but they don't have one. And yeah. she needs... <laughs> um, and so she needs spare parts frequently, which is bad because Perry is the only starfish they have left. So yeah. the, the story starts with, with Kirillo cutting out Perry's eyes to give to Auntie, which I'm not sure what eyes have to do with giving more children. To be honest with you, like being frank, I'm not <laughs> sure what the yeah, I, But maybe, I, yes. I just, it was it was a lot. It was also just very graphic. And it was I very graphic. To throw up. It was like literally yeah. the first chapter introducing Kirillo. And I'm like, it was intense. I was like, it's chapter two, and I'm already like, I can't. Yeah. Like, Which I guess it, it speaks to the descriptiveness of the story, but I also got chilled. Um, but maybe if you don't have your eyes or something, you can't like clone another person with eyes. I don't really know. But yeah, she, know. so they cut out the eyes. But then Auntie's like, I need a new heart. And Carol's like, oh, Girl. but Perry's recovering. <laughs> like, if we take her heart too soon, she'll die. And Auntie basically flexes on her and is like, look, mm-hmm. I'm Auntie Doubler, and I need my heart and if not the commune's gonna end and kirlu is like i don't want to do this so then late later a salty which i think we me and marcy have have discussed <laughs> and we've come to the conclusion that a salty is a as a human right like so cora would be a salty but they in the grist it's like a i guess a slang or a derogatory term yeah. so a salty shows up and Kirlo gets super mad and she's because the 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 salties, quote unquote, the humans, are the ones who force their their grandmothers uh to leave. And, and so real quick, I'm not sure if salties are specifically the ones who are from Saltwater City or if they're just like any other person that's not from Grist. Oh right. Yeah, that's a good yeah. point. They're just not Grist people. Pretty much, yeah. Um, <laughs> <Anyway>, continue. <laughs> So she sees one one show up and she gets super mad. She cuts off their their arm, their hand, his arm, his hand. It's his hand. She cuts yes. off his hand. Yes, yeah, and hand. yeah, <laughs> and later, and, and what you again is not a big how to do. They they that's fine apparently with everyone. So right. then later, she and her mother double are picking forget me do's, very mm-hmm. unbothered. And she sees the salty again, but his hand's grown back and that means they're a starfish. And they're like, wait, that means they're starfish in Saltwater City, and that could be good for us, and more importantly, for my lover, Perry. And Mm -hmm. so, yes. But before they can explore that concept thoroughly, they find out that Auntie (laughs) is having a heart attack. (laughs) And then, so... Um, Kirlo goes back in and the groom is uh, auntie's groom is yelling at her like you knew that auntie needed new heart but because you're in love with Perry you didn't get her a new heart and it's everyone it's a whole to do but it doesn't yeah. matter because auntie dies and yes. again Kirlo not that bothered goes back yeah. home to her mother double 
And which you you would think she said the whole colony is gonna fall apart, but anyway. So she goes back home right. to her mother double, and um, Perry, and they're dancing to some salty music. Which who can blame them? You know, maybe it was some Drake. We right, don't know. Come on, like, listen. Like, would Drake be know? a salty? Who the fuck? Kiki, do you love me? That's what I'm right. talking about. <laughs> <laughs> But everyone starts dancing, but then Perry, it almost seems like she's coming down with the flu systems, which would make sense because like she got her eyes cut out two days ago and then they wanted her heart. So she would be kind of a vulnerable person to get a flu. And so Kirlo's not having it. She's like, you have to go. So they give him some forget me tea and they send him on his way. Kirlo's like, Mm -hmm. we should kill him. And Mother Double is like, why do you got to kill everybody, Carol? Let people live. Kind of a lot. So, right. (laughs) (laughs) So then um, Perry dies because of the flu. And now Kirlo has gone like zero to 100. She's very upset. And Mm -hmm. she's like, I will end every salty that I see from now on. Yeah. And yikes. Very much giving you like Sasuke from Naruto, like just like um, like some like I'm (laughs) gonna avenge my clan type. Right, right. Right. That's exactly the vibe. So obviously now we're back to the f- fact that the, the colony is falling apart because there's no doubler and now there's no starfish. And so yep. one of the members is like, maybe we need to go to a sister colony. Maybe we need to go to Saltwater City and go grab ourselves some people because, you know, we didn't grab everyone the first time around. And yeah. Kirlo's like, I am too depressed and I'm going to go. And she re- also, real quick. Leaves- yeah. Sorry. Isn't there like. There's like whispers of there being a grist village within saltwater. It was like something yeah. like that. Like there was like some yeah. commune in saltwater that like might exist. So like Right. Good point. Um so she runs into Auntie Reddix's groom and her name's um her name's Bombix. Bombix Mori. And she's like, Yo, I freaked out. I am sorry. That was a lot. But they also don't have time to reconcile because at that moment, I guess something's happening in the woods and so they run to the woods to see one of their sisters is giving birth to seven mm-hmm. clones so i'm like great you guys don't need a doubler anymore because she clearly is a doubler right she's giving birth and they're like great awesome i guess that solves one problem except there's another problem there's a giant ship that's shown up and it's kidnapped all the other gris sisters because nobody yeah. can catch a break yeah. <laughs> everybody's struggling so Kirlo's like, no, and she, you know, cuts, she's cutting out the, 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 the net and she's trying to get people out. And the double mother's like, you need to go, Kirlo. And Kirlo's like, I can do this. And then she's like, go. And then they like, you know, get taken. Yeah. And Kirlo's like, I've lost my lover. I lost my mother double. These salties are just salting around. And yeah. um, she runs into, I guess, one of the sisters who was left behind named Calix, which I don't know. Calix seems to have some different loyalties, but well, anyway, we'll see. Yeah, and Calix is like, or Calix, whatever her name is, is like pretty young. I think Carolo, um, we don't really know how old she is, but I guess we would assume she's like an adult. Calix seems like, what, like maybe a teenager? Like she seems like yeah. young Well, I think Carolo just hit quote-unquote adulthood because because Calix mentions at some point, she's like, we're just children, we don't know anything. And she's like, no, I did my adult rite of passage with my mother double. But it sounds like she just did it and she's ah. not... Like okay. so she's like 18 and Carolux is like 14, I would say. Like that okay. about. So now I guess they're at a turning point and they're like, what do we do next? And so Bombex is like, I'm going to stay with the, the new double and we're going to see if we can find another Grist like in this area. And uh, Carolux is like, great, I'm going to go get revenge. 
And I guess I'll take Calyx <laughs> with me and maybe I'll find a starfish. But really, I just want right. revenge. And you're like, okay. <laughs> so they, they're going towards Saltwater Flats, towards the inner rings. And they basically come across this man whose grandmother was a friend to the Grist. And he basically lets them sneak in. So it, it sounds like to get from a ring to ring, it's like a permission thing. You, you can't just yeah. go. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's like, look, I'll, let, I'll sneak you in. But um, the times are getting rough. And so just be careful. So she keeps going. And as they're walking, I guess now the stories collide because they run into Tanya and Myra, who are part of the Cordova dancing school. And Mm -hmm. they, (laughs) I guess, have to be terrible to everyone because they steal their tasks. And then Kirilo's like, you know what? I didn't think I'd have to throw hands again today, but I will. Not that she does (laughs) it successfully because she gets knocked down. And when she wakes up, they're like, yo, we need you for the dancing school because you're a doctor. Kirlo, by the way, at this moment, has not stopped cursing everybody out. Like, Kirlo, yeah. <laughs> not for a moment, stopped yelling at everyone. And you're like, dang. So they are like, you need to shut up because we're trying to get past this border. So actually, right now, they're at the Cosmopolitan Earth Council. Yes. And which is the second ring. So they're like, we, mm. we need to get in. And Tanya has an in because her uncle, her uncle's a general of something and mm. he likes her. So they're going to let her in. But you right. need to shut up. <laughs> and Kirlo's right. like, I don't take advice from nobody and just keeps yelling. Because she also sees the salty who may have gotten Perry sick. Like she sees mm-hmm. him off in the distance and then she really is wild. And yeah. so finally the guards are like, what? the heck tanya like we know you're special but we've got you know refugees coming in and this is a lot is happening and now you got this woman just yelling in the back and she's like look (laughs) she's a doctor she can help and then they open up the trunk and (laughs) kirlo again is still still cursing still screaming at everyone (laughs) at everyone (laughs) so they're like okay did she see anything that happened because if she saw anything we she can't come through and then they're like she Mm -hmm. has a forget me drink and we can give her that and it'll be fine and they're like a forget me drink that that sounds like something we can use for evil. So, right. yeah, let me Perfect. see what that's about. <laughs> <laughs> so they they take her forget me drink and they let them go through. Kirlo starts working at the school and she hates it there. She hates everybody. She hates everything. And she's like, these people yep. are really, really barbaric and I don't care for them. All they ever mm-hmm. do is fight. And then she also was like, they fight for no reason. I was like, Kirlo, you choked out like three people. <laughs> yeah, because she tried to like <laughs> cho- she tried to strangle Tanya like three times. Right, right. When she first met her. Because which Tanya and them stole her tent. Right. Which I guess yeah. that's a reason. But anyway, so but she while she's there, she keeps asking about if anyone's seen like a battleship that that has picked up a bunch of grist people. And mm. they're all like, nah, we're kind of looking for cans. We don't really have time for that. Yeah. Um, but Madam Dearborn rolls up and she's like, you are asking a lot of questions. And Kirlo's like, I am. And Madame's <laughs> like, stop. <laughs> and that's really the end of the, the that section there. Yeah. Also, I don't know. I don't know if we ever said this, but yeah, Madam Dearborn is the head of the Cordova School. If we yes, never said that, right. um, so she's like, yeah, like you ask a lot of questions. So stop this shit, girl, because uh, <laughs> I think Loki, Madam, might know, might have the tea on that, but like, isn't really trying to. Like, right. She like doesn't like the fact that it's like spreading, but um, or being spilled, I should say. Mm. Um. Yeah. So let's take a little break. Yeah, we will talk about all of the things. Yes.
we're back. So yes. we're here for the discussion. Um, just quick, kind of give a quick um, overview of our thoughts about the book. I do think mm-hmm. there's a lot of interesting stuff here. First, kind of like what we said in the cartographer bees and the wasp short mm-hmm. story from the summer. <laughs> um, we we did want to see stories that that focused on women a woman created society um mm-hmm. and what that would look like what would the flaws be and i think you did see that here oh, um, yeah. in the way that antirotics was very almost like a predatory taking you know it was always mm-hmm. like an overconsumption, and um so that was an interesting take uh, rather than like a violence or sort of like we have to fight each other to prove ourselves it was like oh right. but how much do you love me you know like or we need to do this to survive mm-hmm. like we all need to give which i feel like a lot of women do do feel like oh you you know it's almost we have to give so much in society so that was cool to see hmm. a society that was female-based but also flawed that was cool um yeah. i do think everyone was very huge okay well bar the the bullies i don't they were a lot <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so <extreme. laughs> they were terrible <laughs> <laughs> but bar that um everyone seemed very human right like mm-hmm. um like uh, k2 was wasn't very strong or or powerful and uh, you could tell that the, the disease and the illness had kind of weathered everyone and kind of broken mm-hmm. them down which I, I thought was a very human way of, of oh, yeah. looking at the way you know i think dystopia we everyone gets the fun and the guns and the fun but it, you know mm-hmm. there's also that the sort of depressive aspect of it the way things just sort of you oh, lose yeah. your hope um mm-hmm. and it's also interesting to see kind of like differently from dread nation where the story is like about one group of people being affected by an illness um mm-hmm. Sorry, Dread Nations, everyone can be affected. In this book, only one group can be affected. Mm. And it's particularly the group of people who have power. So it's it's really yes. interesting to see how people react to losing power, how it makes them afraid and bitter and resentful mm. and, and, and kind of a stash violent. Because there's even a part with K2 where he says, like, you shouldn't have left us. And she's like, you told me to leave. And you can right. see kind of in his voice that he's mad that he couldn't leave too. You know what I mean? Mm, so yeah. that jealousy of, of losing power, that is, I think those dynamics are really interesting. I also think it's really a good practice to be forced into a completely different way of seeing the world, right? So we mm. talked about how we're confused, and of course that's true, but also to make to do the mental exercise of just what about something that looks completely different from right. your world is 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 good imaginative practice. And I think it, it exercises a muscle, an imaginative muscle, which was was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, sometimes and we talked about this before. Mm-hmm. It is important to anchor the readers in what is happening. Yeah, and I I do feel like sometimes maybe that was not the case. Um, <laughs> for a while, I actually thought everyone was a cyborg. Nobody's a cyborg in the story. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, maybe they're like creatures. And I was like, they're not creatures either. They're people. And and some mm-hmm. some sort of confusion and and kind of um, hiding the ball is good for storytelling. I feel like maybe too much is being hidden. And then also sometimes like a scale. Is a scale a headset from the past and we're just calling it a scale now? Or is oh, it a I, whole new device? I don't know because I, I okay, so I got the vibe that it was a part of Cora in some way. Like it was something that she always mm. carried with her. But she does use it to listen to music. So it could just be a headset, honestly. Right. But then it's like, wait, but how would she how would she be able to see memories? Right, I think it's like point. something completely different, and it maybe is yeah. something that was developed by one of these companies, whether it be like Host or like the Cosmopolitan Earth Council. I mean, I honestly don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. Right. No. <laughs> and sometimes, I sometimes I actually wish the book was a comic because I feel like I could have 
benefited yes, from a visualization. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I definitely agree. I mean, I will say one thing that the book does have, which I do appreciate, is that they do have a cast of characters piece at the very true. beginning where they Facts. kind of break down like who lives where, what's their relationship to each other, kind of like briefly, like super briefly. But even then, like, I mean, I mean, we didn't realize this with fifth season until the second half but there was actually an <laughs> appendix in the back of the book so not only was there a map at the very beginning but there's also an appendix in the back that defined every term that came up so like what it, whether it was like a what was it the stone hedge or the stone right oh my god whatever the the fuck. anyway right raga <laughs> all that shit like it was like they they defined what that was which was helpful because it was kind of like helpful to know sort of like in advance like okay like if this term comes up like i'm not completely in the dark yeah and that's the thing and i i totally agree with you i think that like imaginatively it is like genius to have a world that is so separate that it's like okay i really have to kind of like just let go of everything because i i was so oh my god i was so confused about like chang and ing the like basically the the new i guess version of the sun and moon like i was like what right. is it? I, I literally thought chang was a person i thought chang was a giant <laughs> man in the sky because they were also like gendered in these interesting ways they were. so i was like this like giant man in the sky that like was just looking down on them which i was like that's kind of terrifying but like i'm kind of into the fact that like why couldn't there be a, like i don't know some giant right. man in the sky like looking down at everybody um but then the more i kind of looked into it the more i was like i feel like i i don't think these are people i think these are they they are personified but i don't think they're actual people especially given right. the whole theme with like technology and stuff throughout the book and like that kind of being i would presume the, sort of this the cause or at least to a certain extent of this dystopian society like i would imagine it being like if they're if they're worshiping isabel cho as like basically a goddess goddess yes as like a goddess i wouldn't be surprised if they were personifying things you know simple but maybe arguably mm. divine as like something like the sun and moon as to to you know maybe objects that are also sort of like Similarly, either human or like man-made, so or right. like human-made, I should say. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but I do think that yeah, like some of the world building is a little tricky to understand at first. I mean, I literally thought that Perry was a, like a literal starfish, and I was like, wait, so Kira Lowe's in love with an actual starfish? I was like, this is an interesting. I was like, I'm gonna keep reading. I'm gonna keep <laughs> reading happens. and being open-minded. Because <laughs> uh, I was like, can a starfish really consent? It was like all these things, and then I was like, starfish <laughs> are people, just like everyone else. And then it's like you feel silly, but then you're like, well, girl, I mean, I, I mean, come on, like, it, like, right. like, throw me a bone. Like, I literally had no idea what I was walking right. into. I, I think if you're gonna ask your reader to give up all their assumptions, which is fair, you know, mm-hmm. we should do more of that. You you still have to you gotta you gotta hold our hands a little because yeah. we gave up all of our assumptions. <laughs> like, um, help us out. Yeah, but no, that's yeah. wrong. That's but so wrong. to be to to be fair, we are and we talked about this. We're, we are in the first half of the book, so mm-hmm. it could very well be that we get to the second book and we're like, nah, this all made sense. We just needed yeah. to keep reading. Um, mm. So we don't know, but this is our first impressions. Yeah, um, very true. Yeah, very true. Yeah, and it's also interesting, too, because, like, they sometimes, like, will reference, like, current day things. Like, Cora at yeah. one point says some shit, like, oh, like, they used to buy things, like, oh, someone was asking for, what was it? It was, like, ibuprofen or something, like, like yeah. someone was, like, oh, like, can I get some ibuprofen? Like, they were, like, what? It was, like, Kirilo. Kirilo was, like, treating someone, and they asked for ibuprofen when she was at the Cordova School for Dancing Girls. And Kirilo was, like, what the fuck is that? And they were, like, oh, they had it in, like, the previous times. And then, like, I remember Cora at one point in the book was, like, yeah, like, they used to sell this thing. I forgot what they were talking about. But it was, like, it was they used to sell this thing at, like, something called, like, the dollar store. But, like, right. a dollar. And then, like, she was, like, what's a dollar? And they are like, oh, it was, like, some old currency. But, like, honestly, the United Middle Kingdom got rid of that shit, bitch. <laughs> and so, it's right. like, I kind of like how it 
it's like whenever there are these like real like current moment things it's like oh like this is a reference that i would understand it's like this like throwaway comment like oh lol this like old shit that doesn't matter anymore like it's just like i kind <laughs> right. of like that playing with 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 time in, in that sense right but yeah and also just, it also yeah. seems like it, it, what's interesting is that the the world power it seems i i i would say it's mm-hmm. it's almost like a future China, and I, I say that because they reference renminbi, which is Chinese currency, and it, mm. the, the place is also called the, the United Middle Kingdoms, and China's um, like name in Chinese is Middle Kingdom, and mm-hmm. so that's really cool to see the focus shifted away from your usual imagination of the, the Western world as like the dominant power to another mm. place as a dominant power in the future in a dystopia, which is it just forces you to like you know like think about what you usually put on autopilot so that was that was right yeah um i will say if we are gonna have this rooted in this is the future three generations in the future as we know from the grist Mm -hmm. how are the grist clones can we please i have questions like my question is okay so did the starfish and shit arrive with the gris or were they people that existed but then they were maybe they were a particularly like persecuted group beforehand and maybe that was like some reason they were exiled i'm literally grasping for straws here but like i was like how the fuck did they change a literally human reproduction in like three generations (laughs) it's like (laughs) wild yeah, because like, at first I was like, oh, maybe these are a different species of people. But it's like, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And it's interesting because I'm like, maybe there is like with the... Because the thing is like, so we know that there are these like prominent companies or like, yeah, like these entities that have like, that like hold a lot of power. But we don't really know what they did. Like, I don't really know what hosts right. did. Like, what did they create? Like, what like what did, she, like, yeah. what did Isabel do? So I'm like, maybe that in some way will explain. Mm, ties together. How they were able to kind of, yeah, like, do the whole doubler starfish thing. It's possible. But yeah, it's, it's just, like, honestly wild. <laughs> um, especially since it's, like, so isolated. Because it seems like in Saltwater City, that's not really, like, they don't really talk about starfish or anything like that. Yeah, so, no. No. Yeah. So that was interesting. Yeah, but it's like, yeah, sorry, keep going. No, no. Please. Um, I was going to say, while we're on the topic of the, the Grist Village, like, I also do like kind of, again, playing with like assumptions and playing with like, you know, like leaving assumptions at the door where it's like you have the society where everyone, presumably everyone, um, identifies as a woman or a girl and like sexuality and everything is just like framed differently. Like it's like you're kind of in this world right. where it's like, you know, and like, I guess in the... And, like, an aggregate sort of perception, like, yeah, a lot of, you know, Kirillo's, like, love for Perry would be considered, like, oh, like, a queer dynamic. But it's, like, what happens with queerness when it's, like, the only option is queerness? Because it's, like, it's it's often used, like, in, like, framed as, like, this, like, deviation from, like, yeah, yeah, this other thing, this, like, deviation from, like, a norm. But it's, like, when it's, like, just, like, not only is it, like, the central option, but it's, like, the only option. Like, what is Mm. that mean and like how does that change sort of like how we perceive queerness and like kind of power within queerness so like that was also something that i kind of thought was like a really interesting like exercise like okay like i kind of like this dynamic of like it's like we're playing with gender in the sense of like this salty shows up that like we think is a guy we think (laughs) and like it's like we're not really sure but like basically like the all the grits are like girl we we were done with men (laughs) just generations ago and i'm like i I, I kind of live for this, like high key. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, but um, but speaking also of of Grist, can we just talk about Kirillo real quick, like as a <laughs> character? Because like I feel okay, okay. 
So, yes, Kirillo was in love with Perry, which is, it was very tragic the way she died, and she already <laughs> didn't fuck with the Salty. So the Facts. fact that the Salty killed her lover, like, mm. I get it. You already <laughs> didn't fuck with this bitch, and you're like, my lover is gone. And and then now, like, when they got raided, they were like, oh, like, she was like, I bet the Salty has some shit to do with this. But at the same time, like, we didn't really know Perry. <laughs> like, at all. Like, the only at really all. extended scene we saw really between the two of them was, like, her removing her eyes, which, as we said, was a lot. And then, like, mm. aside from that, it was just like, oh, yes, like, I love Perry. You know, it's just kind of like, but, like, can we get a session, like, I don't know, seeing you interact with Perry? How did you meet Perry? Right. Like, what's, like, the dynamic here? Like, what's your history? Like, what's going on? Like, I'm just, like, super curious. And then they're like, Perry died. And, like, mm, and I was just like, but we still <laughs> don't know who like, like, I like, Like, I want to care, but I don't know <laughs> who this character is. And so I felt like, I don't know, some of the, that was one thing that was kind of like, oh, I don't know. I feel like sometimes like in, and I'm not saying that like love can't be a thing that inspires characters, you know, actions and things like that. But in a sort of like super imaginative, like, you know, there's like no sun and moon, like we're super in the future, like every, mm. leave everything you know about the world to the door. I was kind of like, I would sort of love to see a more creative play on this. Not saying you could have some, like a lover in this situation, but like, I don't know, I feel like, it was one of those, it, it, it kind of took me out of the book in a second because it was kind of like, oh, like this world is like, I have to like really concentrate to understand what's going on. But then you have this, like at the same time, this trope that's like very common. And so it's kind of like, it's right. like the lover dies and that like, and now you're like seeking vengeance. And I'm like, I feel like I would have liked a similar, like the, in the same way that the world is very imaginative, I would have loved to kind of see like a, either like sort of a different maybe motivation or maybe even like the same motivation, but like kind of played with in that sense. Mm. Like maybe Perry, like, the way in which they define love in Gris Village is something that's like super, you know, I guess to our current zeitgeist would be something that's like considered very foreign or something like that. Like just, I don't know. Oh, like I see. Playing, playing with what love is, what it means to be in love with someone. I feel like I would have loved to see, especially like, you know, mm. society that's presumably everyone, if they are sexual kind of like has like a, I guess we would call like a queer leaning. Like what does that mean? So that was something that I was kind of just like, Maybe they'll do flashback sequences in part two or, or not. Maybe Paris <laughs> is dead and Paris is dead in the same way right. that Delphine is just now gone. So, like, <laughs> I don't know. It's just like, right. I don't know. That's just something that I was kind of thinking about. No, I think that's a good point, Marcy, because, and I, this is actually true across the board when people write about lovers as a motive or even love motivation characters, like characters who motivate mm-hmm. the story forward. And sometimes you do get a really flat characterization of the person who died and is the motivator like usually they're super good you know they're just the most right. good that ever gooded mm. into the good world and you kind of see that with <laughs> <laughs> you see that, that with Perry right and you see that with Perry too and it, it, honestly it's very common actually Steven Universe is actually different in the sense that you start to have that concept of of Rose chipped away at as a perfect mm. character, which doesn't mean you, I, I think the mistake is if they're not a perfect person in the past, then you shouldn't be motivated to get revenge for them. And it's, that's right. not true. <laughs> you know, you don't love people because they're good. Like people right. barely love people because they're good. So, I, um, <laughs> it, it would be, it would be, it would be cool to see their relationship because I think what would have made us sort of made us care more that Perry died. Is if, <laughs> I mean, let's just be real. Like, right. Is if we saw something about Kirlo and their relationship together, like does Kirlo become more, uh, you know, agreeable when she's around Perry? Because she's certainly not agreeable right. at any other time. You know, does does Perry, you know, I, I don't know. Perry gives, like clearly there was a reason Kirlo 
was in love with her. Um, and it would have right. been nice to see what what that was between them before or she e- died. Or, or even like the idea of like, Kirilo is someone that, I mean, yes, and it, she does it in a healing way, but she does take a lot from Perry all the time. Like, how does that inform their relationship with each other? Like, what's the power mm. balance like in their relationship? Like, when you're constant, like, you just removed your lover's eyes and gave them to someone else. I'm sure Perry has right. a thoughts about that. I would be curious to see what Perry thinks about that. You know, like, right, just, right. Like, I feel like it's like you have it, it's not even like you have to do a lot, but it's like you have a world where, like, you're already constructing things that are in such an interesting way. Like let's explore those like nuances of like how that mm. informs like these roles that you have in Grist. Like there's grooms, there's starfish, there are doublers. Like it sounds like there's a little bit of obligation here. Like if you are right. someone that can be a starfish, like you have to act on that ability. Like mm. what does that mean? What does that mean for like autonomy for someone like Perry? Right. Like right. it's just like that it's the shit like that, that I'm like, I would love, I would love to see that shit. Like I'm like, I mean, yeah. making a short story. Like I would love <laughs> to kind of mm, see that. To just about the out. grists. That's right. a good point. So yeah, I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I agree with that. I definitely would have, you know, I also think there's a lot of threads here and I would like to see, <laughs> I am hoping that they all kind of bundle together at some point. Yeah, me too. Um, like, I don't know who Isabel Cho is and she's very mad at someone. Um, I do not oh, know. Oh yeah, that was like revealed. She was like mad at someone. I'm very, very angry. We don't know what yeah. for and we're not even really sure if Isabel's still alive. Um, we don't. <laughs> we know nothing. We also don't know much about Cora's family and that relationship with the tiger flu. Like, is that a what? what? And then this little subplot with the <laughs> uncle and the and now they're gone. We don't know, but it would be nice right. to see where that ends up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do worry because in Dread Nation, I feel like there were questions that you got to. We thought in part one would be answered in part two, and they were in fact not answered in part two right (laughs) um so i do i i feel like i'm like wait we might not get an answer but i will wait we'll see what happens maybe we will yeah Um, i also kind of wonder about everyone's motivations in the book like i'm not sure why they kidnapped the grists Mm. why i mean granted i don't know so yeah or even like, why is it that? Because you like, I mean, you've definitely I mean, even from the first chapter where they introduce the grist. You know, there's a lot of stigma around them. Yeah. But like, why? Like, I just it's like I don't. I mean, and granted, I mean, oftentimes there are people are stigmatized for like honestly not a good reason, but there is like right. some reason that's in the zeitgeist for like why people are stigmatized right. in like at least some way. But yeah, it's here. It's just kind of like I don't really know what is really going on. And also with Kirilo, even like it's like this whole like avenge plot of like oh like I'm gonna like find a starfish and then kill the salty that like wronged me. It doesn't seem like a very long-term plan, right? Cause she doesn't seem to care about going back to the other grists. She, in fact, she says that at one point, she's like, let me kill that salty and then you can kill me. I don't actually care. And I'm like, Kirla. Right. <laughs> It's like, honey. What is the plan? <laughs> Although I will say, I, 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 I was when I was reading the book, I was like, I don't love the way Kirlo acts. Like, I don't like her decisions. Mm. I think they're poor decisions often. And yeah. I like, I, I do like that there she has enough character for me to dislike her. Which, yeah, <laughs> I that sounds crazy, but when you read or watch movies with female characters, a lot of times you're like, well, I can't like you or dislike you because you haven't done anything. <laughs> But, like, Kirlo makes decisions. I don't like her right. decisions. But it, they are decisions, and someone else Correct. might make them. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, I like that. No, that's super, super real. But, yes, super agree with that. Like, I do like the fact that, like, Kirlo does at least have <laughs> motivations and, like, a personality. Um, maybe instead of doing our usual quotes, could we do, maybe, like, since we obviously have so many questions, like, 
we could just do like what is like the one question that we just like really want mm. answered in part two. Just kind of like you know play with it a little bit. Yeah, I like it. Um, my question is a little off the cuff. I'm thinking. I wonder. K2, I wonder if he's actually a clone as well. Hmm. Because they're talking about his twin. We don't know about the twin. And I wonder if this like clone technology thing is actually like a more far reaching thing, you know? And mm. what that means, what are the implications? Who knows? I like that. I like that. For me, I would say, oh my God, what do I think about the most? I'm really curious about like the Cordova schools, like reputation and the kind of how mm. it got started um because like it just seems like it's allowed to exist but it has like this i mean obviously they're like robin bitches and like it's like wild um so it's like i'm curious how this even got started and like i don't know if madam like if the madam has like any particular like insights into the tiger flu or like sort of these questions that even curlo has i'm just curious right. like who the fuck is this Ma- is madam dearborn what the who mm. who is this I'm going to isolate my question to that because <laughs> I just have, I have a lot of goddamn questions. <laughs> yes. Um, thank you all again for listening. Yes. So if you would like to further get in touch with us, maybe, you know, shoot us a message about Tiger Flu. Be like, girl, y'all actually got the whole game fucked up. <laughs> you can because we have a Twitter we at do. The Colored Pages. We also have an email at thesecoloredpages at gmail.com. And we also have a website at thesecoloredpages.com. Also... Um, be sure, you know, obviously to check out Black Nerd Problems, as we mentioned in the beginning of the episode, as well as to like, so we're trying to like boost our visibility and like, you know, be more like podcasters. So if y'all want to go on to Apple Podcasts and leave us like a review or like a rating, that would really help us a lot in terms of Woo. like getting our names out there. So we would super appreciate that. But, um, just some, you know, selfless self-promo, but, um, yeah. <laughs> But aside from that, Akko, is there anything else we should leave our listeners with? No, I think that is all. But, 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 but until next time, just remember to stay stay colorful. colorful.